and welcome to episode 12 of series 2 of Kathy and Jack Watch Films yes <laughs> that was good let's keep that okay <laughs> so two films today as always well yes. apart from last episode which and had 100, 100 films, films. <laughs> it's all or nothing this show <laughs> well all or two all or not very much yeah none of these things sound like good reviews so no so two films again we're back to normal back to the new year 2021 films here we go here we go all Netflix all films all the time oh it's not always Netflix actually is it sometimes it's BFI player yes that's true or movie yes or iPlayer yes that's about it what's the best uh, player go ahead BFI player BFI player yep we're not sponsored no credit reason at all no yeah exactly That's, that's the reason isn't it yeah even Mubi credit squeezes. What are you on? What are you on, Mubi? Yeah, what's going on? So, but this week they are both Netflix. Yes, that's true. What are the films this week, Jack? So we're looking at the Five Bloods, and the Five Bloods. Yes, the Five Bloods, and thank you. F- sorry, f- sorry to bother you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so really hard to remember. Title, sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. Yeah. You keep saying thank you for noticing. <laughs> I say exactly. I say thank you, and then that's it. Then I'm doomed. Thank you for noticing. Yes. Um. Yeah. <clears throat> Those are our films this week. Yes. We're recording on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Fire is on. Snow oh, is on the ground. Fire is on. It's getting very warm in here. It's getting super warm in here. It's getting too warm for you. Not too warm, but I'm getting quite sleepy. Cathy does have a um, fluffy jumper and a hoodie on at the I'm moment. I'm going to take my fluffy jumper off. I'm going to take my trousers off, excuse me. <laughs> Jack's wearing shorts underneath, he's not just uh, doing it naked. <laughs> oh, that's enough on the creature. What? Huh? What's snowing earlier on? And now it is. It is not. Not snowing. No. It rained earlier. I think the snow is gone. Oh, we'll see, we'll see. So what film do you want to do first, love? Shall we do Sorry to Bother You? Why not? So, 2018 film. Yes. We meant to watch it in the cinema, didn't we, but we never got around to it. Mm. But now it is on Netflix. Hooray. So that's nice. Uh, written and directed by Boots Riley. Mm-hmm. Who we'd never seen anything of before, had we? No, this is his first feature film. Ah, okay. What's he been um, doing before? He's a musician. Uh-huh. He's a musician and a rapper. And then I think he's done, like, music videos and maybe... I don't know if he's done many shorts or if this is just, like, went straight from that to full feature film. Seems cool. to be a good way in. People seem to go music video, strange science fiction films. Like... Who else are you thinking of? Um, I think there's loads of examples, but specifically Jonathan Glazer. Oh. He did all those music videos and that hilarious Cabbage Flake advert, which I yeah. love. Yeah. Um, nice. Aside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should do some music videos. Yes. You should. And then do a crazy science fiction. And go, what? I've made some music videos now. Can I have a big budget science fiction room, please? Yes. Thank you. So this features Lakeith Stanfield. Mm-hmm. as the main character Cassius Cash Green and then many other people would you like to do a little plot rundown yes I would um, so Cassius Green is man stuck in a dead end job you see him getting said dead end job right at the start um, and anybody who's familiar with working in hell holes will feel very familiar at the beginning of this film um, and he's doing telemarketing selling some unknown um relatively innocuous product. Encyclopedias. Ah, is that what he says? Yeah. I wasn't paying enough attention. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so it's about him and his um, sort of surrounding friends and family, um, some of whom are working with him, um, some of them who are or not. Um, and there's lots of talk in his workplace of there being different tiers where if you become a star seller, um, you could be working upstairs and making big money. A power caller. A power caller, that's the word, isn't it? Not a star seller. 
Um, and then he gets a handy tip from Danny Glover. Um, Sits next to him and work. Yes, beautiful old Danny Glover leans back and says, look, if you want to make it here, um, as probably worth mentioning, both of these characters are African-Americans. Um, he says, if you want to make it and do well here, I advise you to use your white voice. And he says, what's that? And then suddenly he starts speaking with a really funny, um, basically like my voice, you know, like, it's not like a dorky your voice, white guy it's voice. Like, it's um, an American podcasting voice. <laughs> yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, they've got David Cross playing um, um, Keith the- Stanfield's white voice yeah. in it, um, which will probably give you an idea of, you know, if you ask David Cross to do a white guy voice, then you know what he's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> so who's David Cross? David Cross is comedian. He was um, he made a bizarre and strange show called Wonder Chosen, mm-hmm. um, and done a couple of different uh, sketch comedy things. But also he plays um, the therapist character in um, Arrested Development. Therapist character. Yes. Oh, when you said he was in Arrested Development, I thought he was the blue man. Yes, he's the blue man, the bully. He is, yeah. There's a whole joke about how he's a analyst and a therapist. Mm-hmm. So on his card it says analvapist. And so, so yeah. Suddenly he has this ability to speak with this uh, um, this sort of middle to upper class white voice, which um, provides him with fame and fortune in the world of. Um, the world of telemarketing yes, and so gets everyone, him promoted to the top. Everyone on the phone trusts the white voice more than the more than his normal voice. Yes, and in the middle of um, some of his friends um, doing some union strike action in the call centre, um, it gets noticed that he's keeping his head down and all that, um, and so he becomes a sort of picket line breaking, highly successful call centre guy. Um, and from then on, it gets sort of increasingly more surreal and silly um, and becomes a little bit a little bit Brazil a little bit network um, and I don't know how much how much should I give away in the plot mm, I think you should leave it there cool I don't think we should go into the yeah this was one where I didn't know anything about the way it escalated and it escalates in a surprising and very funny way so if you can avoid the um, if you can avoid the spoils on this one I think it's worth it yeah uh, so we had a I, it can't be in the trailer because we've both seen the trailer so mm-hmm. I think if it's not in the trailer then I think the trailer was was well done I think it only yeah. showed the initial halves of it but it yeah you just get the feeling that something's not quite not quite normal in this world and then it then it becomes so yes um, yeah so that's the crack really yes mm. this was really really good this was um, yeah a properly icky upsetting surreal film for me in a very good way yeah um it's got its um it's got its sort of political kind of ideas on its chest um but also kind of um yeah looks at things from from a few different angles and stuff mm. just to be um non-didactic and yeah a piece of kind of present day science fiction I thought in a way that was really good yeah it's like primarily um a sort of critique of capitalism isn't it mm. and it's talking about it sort of escalates that so that the the main bad guy tech bro type person is what's his company called um, oh, I can't remember work now. free I think that's right yeah. free work and it's like um so it looks like some sort of indentured slavery where they don't pay you wages you know you go they're like guaranteed work for life guaranteed accommodation for life guaranteed food for life Um, it looks very similar to how um, you'll see reports of places like Foxconn um, in China and India owning lots and lots of places to live and also kind of owning the sort of street infrastructure and things and mm-hmm. making like an enclosed community around factory work. Mm. But you um, can't get out, you have to sign like a lifetime contract. Yeah. So it's like a sort of an American incursion into that, isn't it, via Silicon Valley? Yeah, and it's Army Hammer playing the the main boss, isn't it? Mm. The, um, he's called, his character is called Steve Lift. Nice. So he's, I guess he's like a Steve Jobs. 
Yeah, I suppose so. I hadn't thought about that. Well, quite a lot of their names are, are like... Little little jokes. Yeah. There's um, one of his co-workers who's, who flirts with Cassius once he starts getting successful. Mm-hmm. She Her name is Diana Debauchery. Nice. As in like D-E <laughs> Bauchery. That's very good. <laughs> that's very that's very David Cronenberg. Like, that's the sort of like daft names he often quite often puts in his, yeah. uh, puts in his films. Um, yeah, this was dead good, wasn't it? It was very good. Um, it's yeah, like I say, it's got lots of great people in it. Um, it felt very sort of um, like I don't I don't know what the word is like immediate, like intense type of thing. Like it grabs you and pulls you in. And then, yeah, I think so. I think through great central performance as well. Yeah, um, it's, he's a slightly nebulous, cipherous character in the middle of it. Um, you never quite know what his full intentions are what he's thinking um, but he's really good at sort of emoting at the same time he's not sort of he's, blank he's very sweet isn't he mm. he walks um, with this sort of like little hunch or like a little yeah tall person walk where they're trying to make themselves smaller I don't know yeah or he's got I don't bad posture is. isn't he yeah um. and he's very sort of not dopey but like chilled out isn't he yeah he's, he, he doesn't he doesn't respond to people very quickly um, he doesn't do um, like communication very much yeah um, which is funny because then it's the flip then when David Cross comes across and is completely insincere through his white guy voice yeah um, so he goes from being yeah this um, because he's really really gentle natured it's not brooding but there's a sort of there's a real moodiness to his character Mm. Um, and which makes it even the more all the more shocking when he becomes this sort of social climber. I think. Yeah, he really reminded me of someone I know, but I don't know who. Hmm. Like just, just he felt very familiar. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder who that would be. Yeah. Um, but Hitman, his girlfriend is played by Tess Thompson. Yes, it was very good. Very good. Yes, from um, off of Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Valkyrie. What else should she be in? Mm. She's been quite a few things. I don't think I've seen her anything else. Wow, she's very good. Their relationship is sort of also at the heart of the film, isn't it? Because she's very much a left-wing activist, mm. arts performer, um, unioniser, that kind of thing. And then he's gradually starting to like, yeah, break the picket line and and. Um, chase capitalism what I quite like about their sort of depiction of these characters is his friends happen to have quite believably like a real mix of um, different left wing politics in a way mm. so his partner is um, yeah is, is from an art scene and is involved in activism they sort of bump into a guy in work and become friends with this guy who's like a like a travelling unioniser mm. um, who's coming at it from a sort of pure politics um, it's kind of it looks like the kind of person that kind of listens to Chapo Chapo's every day and <laughs> all that kind of stuff um, and then you've got Danny Glover who's like a sort of older guy who's aware of union stuff and has seen this before and yeah and has so has a different angle on it so you get this really nice um, portrait of I think you get it on both sides really you get these nice these really neat portraits of people on both sides of it um, which makes stops it from being feeling overly didactic I think there's a really nice portrait of of the struggle and things and it's not completely pro union action things and yeah well it's just um, I think it gets a lot of things right like about capitalism and stuff and this new capitalism where they're trying to pretend that they're your friend and things mm-hmm. like there's lots of speeches from it from the marketing people in the business isn't there like um oh, I'm a team leader, don't think of yourselves as, like, under me, we're all same level, you know, come to me with any questions, mm. etc. And then, like, someone asks about pay, and then it's like, no. Oh, they can just get shut down. Yeah. Yeah, because it just leaves everybody feeling really confused then, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like what they actually want is, like, the the boss who just says, look, this, these are the conditions of the job. Terribly sorry about that. <laughs> but yeah, when they get somebody in his middle management who tries to be their friend, it's like, but you have no, you have no power at all. Yeah. You're just a sort of um, a slightly differently designated version of us. You're not my friend. Yeah. 
Um, good music in it as well. Yep, really nice music. You've been listening to the soundtrack today, haven't you? Yeah, it was by the Tune Yards. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, no way. Well, it's a mixture of people. It's the Tune Yards, um, not the Tune Yards, Tune Yards, mm-hmm. um, Boots Riley's band, Yeah. who are called um, The Coup. Mm-hmm. So it's Riley and The Coup. And also um, Janelle Money features as well. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's quite interesting because there's nothing that's like really obviously Janelle Monet or obviously Tune Yards there so they're obviously like bringing something to it mm. that's completely different isn't it yeah like it sounds like they've collaborated and made a thing of their own in that case and I've not heard any of Boots Wiley's stuff but yeah it's yeah, quite interesting yeah to hear his stuff the soundtrack I haven't listened to the whole album yet but I was halfway through it when we started this mm. but um, it sounds good oh nice yeah but yeah in a sort of time when there is this encroachment of like more kind of the kind of the kind of labour that's been happening in other countries coming mm-hmm. to America at the moment things like Foxconn moving in and stuff this feels like it'll it'll stay timely for quite a while really mm. um, yeah I thought that was a really nice yeah. de- really, really, really subtly played thing in this and it's hard to describe the mood of the film because like Maybe if you just listen to our description, you'd think it was like a... A dry thing. Like a Ken Loach. Um, yeah, yeah. Social realist, grim... What was his Amazon one called? I it had a similar know. sort of name, like, Sorry mm. We Missed You. Right, okay. You know, about delivery drivers and mm-hmm. um, sharing economy. Um, whereas, but actually the tone of this is like super sharp and funny, isn't it? Like, yeah. Like, it's funny all the way through, but also scary and... Well, not scary, but, like... Um, yeah, just really sharp. I think the three pointers I would point to from it, I guess, it would be things like um, Brazil, um, network, office space, um, things like that. You know, it's, like, actually a really weird, colourful and exciting kind of adventure. What's office space? Office space was one that um, the guy did, King of the Hill done and it was like a sort of um, parody of like neoliberal office life is that the one where they're collecting to- they've got to collect tokens yeah they've got like yeah like a sort of um, they have to make tokens of their individuality and things mm. um, but yeah so yeah. yeah it's actually this is actually a really good fun ride and because we're spoiling the end it sort of escalates into strangeness as well in ways that we've decided not to talk about which I think is good yes yeah it gets um Increasingly crazy. It does, yeah. Um, and that, but I'd like to talk as well about the like editing style. Because mm-hmm. I think if he has done music videos, if, if I haven't made that up, well, his background is definitely in music anyway, but mm-hmm. I do feel like it's edited in a way almost like a music video. What kind of things? Just like, um, I guess it's not doing it in... Um, like when he's calling people then they they do stuff like drop him into their houses don't they yeah this is lovely surreal moment when they answer the phone like he suddenly drops into their house and then but so it's like little surreal moments like that but not they don't make a big deal of it being surreal it's just they just um, and there's like little because swiftly like, becomes the language of the film doesn't it yeah his girlfriend has always has crazy earrings on doesn't she mm-hmm. whenever they meet her they're like oh nice earrings and then her earrings always say something like murder or <laughs> I don't know yeah. but it's just edited in, in quite like a fast they sort of zoom tempo. into the earrings don't they it's like a sort of um, yeah um, like a like an isolation shot in a, in a music video yeah so you'd, you'd do somebody's earrings and then you'd do somebody's watch next and you zoom into a car in the same way it's just like like zooming in establishing shot isn't it yeah and I think it's just edited in a very like fast like you've got to sort of go with the film maybe that's one of the things that makes mm-hmm. it feel like you've got to dive into the film because I think it cuts very quickly after conversation, maybe. Yeah, it's a bit of a so whirlwind, the, isn't it? Yeah, so that you've got to sort of lose yourself in the film or you might get distracted by the different cuts and by the different little surrealist things. Well, that's that's a thing I think is a real compliment to this film, actually, is that the 
a lot of the um, colour choice and the set design is really wild, really mm. colourful, really strange, sometimes cartoon-like, which, yeah, I guess now that you mention it, is very music video-like. But because the cutting was totally of a piece with that, it never distracted me because I was just in, I was interested in the story, mm. I was being entertained. So, I, yeah, I, I didn't even notice that that particular thing about it because it because yeah he's come from world of music video but this totally holds itself together as a film yeah um like it doesn't ever feel like it's meandering or long nothing else so it's really well put together i think um yeah yeah so he has his cake and and eats it in that sense it's really dense and really maximalist but it's never exhausting no i don't think i think it's not too long definitely no i think it was a fairly long film which didn't feel like it lots happens yeah um, I think it's about two hours, isn't it? Hmm. Like yeah, it was a fast two hours because it was full of good stuff. Um, frequently quite upsetting as well, wasn't it? Yes. Just <laughs> <laughs> flashing back through the film. Yes. Looked <laughs> a bit disturbed. Um, so yeah, that's dead. Good days. Watch and it. he's wearing a bandage at one point and the bandage keeps getting grosser and grosser and I just wanna I wanted him to change his bandage. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> it's a nice little detail. How many stars for you? Um I thought this was very good this one. Um I can't wait to see more films from him. Uh just because there's a lot of like we're not, we're talking about a Spike Lee film next. Mm. And I feel like this did a lot of the things that a really good Spike Lee film does. It was just yeah. full of absolute joy and excitement, um, and totally effortlessly loads all of these all of these big ideas in um, without any detriment to the joy of the film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, four stars, I think. Don't know why I said that in a funny voice. Four stars. Like it's a little, <laughs> uh, little game show. I think I might give it a five. Go on, do it. Yeah, it's between a four and a five, one. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'd take the one star for. Mm, point. It's got a very good ending. Um, you pointed out something about the ending that I hadn't even clocked. Mm. Um, but it sort of ends in a point that leaves you plenty to think about. And then, yeah, it's very well put together. Yeah, we can't tell you what I... Tell you nothing about this and all we can do is say that we I like it. Yeah. about the ending. I think it's worth it on some films. It's just like, go and have an experience on it. Yeah. If you haven't already. Next. We're talking about The Five Bloods. Yes. Spike Lee film mm-hmm. this year, came out this year, 2020. Yep. Straight to Netflix because everywhere was closed. Mm-hmm. I think it was meant to go to like Cannes somewhere, Cannes Festival. Okay. So take off another jumper. Nice. I'm getting naked or naked as podcast goes <laughs> Thank on. You. <laughs> so I'm it's been a very sexy recording session. You probably never hear this. <laughs> We've been eating crisps into the microphone for the first 15 <laughs> minutes of this. Um, Slurping tea. Slurp. Oh, were you? What? I was drinking mine very daintily. Were you? Yeah. You did a general burp? Just I did a general burp. burp, yeah. That'll probably stay in. Anyway, anyway what back to Defied Bloods. bloods. Latest Spike Lee film. Latest and Spike one of Lee film. Most expensive films. Yes, this feels like a. Well, I suppose he's travelling about now, isn't he? Yeah. Um, off to uh, off to Southeast Asia, off in Vietnam. Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So this is a sort of Vietnam War film. Yes. It's set. Well, it's based on these five guys who are all the part of the same infantry regiment in Vietnam War. Um, and they, and it's cut between footage of like them at the time, um, with their leader of the inf- leader of their gang, who is called Stormin Norman, mm-hmm. played by Chadwick Boseman. Yep. Um, and then footage of them now is like old man, and they're retracing some of their steps in Vietnam they're back on unfinished business aren't they yes recovering some I think I can see it I think (laughs) think we can it's in the trailer isn't it Um, yes it is covering some gold yes they buried some gold back in the day Mm -hmm. then various things happened so like 30 years have passed or something more I don't know how many years 40 the time that it takes to get from Vietnam War till now yeah, has passed. <laughs> but it's quite a long war, wasn't it? I think. Um, anyway, they're old. Many years have passed. 
things happened they couldn't come back straight away to get it they're back now to get their gold and get the bones of their commander who died on the gold mission mm-hmm. um, so that's sort of the plot isn't it yep that's that that's that we didn't like this no very disappointed <laughs> which is a shame because the concept is really interesting the idea of trying to do a film talking about a black experience of Vietnam is really interesting Mm. Um, but the film was just a bit of a mess it yeah it's um, I mean I really like Spike Lee as a director and some things in this were great but like the last Spike Lee film we saw was Black Klansman which mm-hmm. like I loved I thought it was brilliant and this one is trying to do some similar things it's trying to sort of address the yeah, the, the experience of the black soldiers in the American army how they were sort of used as cannon fodder while the sort of civil rights movement was going on back in America and it's sort of trying to address yeah this historic um, wrongs against them why they were you know being denied rights but also giving their lives for America um so it's trying to do that then it's also sort of showing the PTSD 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 (laughs) (laughs) Um, of oldest soldiers who've sort of you know been damaged on their tours years and years ago and have never recovered from the damage then there's sort of various family relationships. Then there's um, the hunt to get the gold. It's all going on, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. I mean, we've just talked about a film that's mega, mega kind of dense. And if we mm. listed all the stuff that happened in that, I think that would be an all go. It's all going on film. But this one, it just feels like it feels. Well, I, I was reading about it. And the thing which stuck with me, and this might not be true, but it tells a tells a story of sorts, is the idea that this was originally a script written for Oliver Stone to direct, and Spike Lee and uh, another writer got together and and sort of rewrote it from a black perspective, and also a lot of the inspiration um, came from um, this really interesting sounding book which I've forgotten the name of because I haven't made any notes today, um, <laughs> um, which a guy had written in 1984, which was like a sort of oral history of um, the black experience during Vietnam. So it sounded like they had this really interesting book about a really interesting point of time in history, and then a script that was written for yeah to be like a sort of Rambo four esque kind of mm. Vietnam adventure, um, and they never managed to get those two things to work together. I don't think it didn't. They didn't yeah. manage to turn all that really interesting history into a really interesting film. There's lots of bits where they're doing exposition about the history of the Vietnam um, experience for black people. And you think, oh, this is really interesting, but you've just got a character just say it out loud, like like yeah. he's reading from the book. Um, so it's got this kind of didactic streak through it, I think. Yeah, and it's... Well, it sort of rubbed us up the wrong way right from the start, didn't mm-hmm. it? Because in the first few minutes, while it's sort of placing you in Vietnam and in the war, it uses a lot of real footage from the time to sort of situate you in the 70s um, but it uses loads of horrific war photos and war footage like real war footage it's got a lot of the classics of Vietnam war journalism in there which are yeah. um, which are really important bits of journalism but sort of front loading a film is really a really difficult one to watch yeah it was just it really like I was I felt really sort of like what do you know it didn't it hadn't got to a point I felt like where it had deserved to show you those images. Like I don't want to be assaulted with those images first thing when I'm not ready for them. Like mm. you know things like murdered children and yeah. There was one shot it showed at the one clip it showed at the start where there's a soldier and a Vietnamese guy just standing in the street and then the shoulder shoots the Vietnamese guy like point blank yeah it's a very head. famous photograph isn't it yeah um, but it, it was a, it was moving wasn't it it was a clip 
um, that one was like you yes yeah they, they do the clip and then there's also a famous still of it as well and they exactly. sort of drop the still in as well um, and I just I I don't want to watch real murders um, I find them really upsetting mm. and I just think if I'd been watching a documentary that's one thing but there was nothing in the I mean that was like 30 seconds into the film and it was showing you those things and then it does it like throughout a different point and it felt like it was trying to show you the real life atrocities which is fair enough to try and sort of show you how horrible it was Mm -hmm. but then because it's mixed in with this men trying to find the gold and like this all the other narratives they didn't have enough weight to the rest of the film to justify the um, showing these horrible stuff so like like a lot of the rest of the film although I think it's trying to do an anti-war thing actually ends up doing sort of a war epic thing so then you've got like the music and the cinematography is doing a war epic film and then these real life images are doing an anti-war thing so it just didn't make sense to me I think it's a real challenge to make an anti-war film because anything you point the camera at is the start and so you spend a lot of time in this um, with with people shooting and um, having having gunfights and 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 the, and the like, um, and you just end up with this kind of yeah this accidental glorification of war then, um, which can be avoided. I think it is possible to do pacifist films and things, yeah. but it's really really hard. Um, and yeah, I just think that what they've what they had here in, in the actual script and the dialogue in it was this slightly slightly cheesy action adventure really like this sort of lethal weapon type kind of thing going on yeah. and then another layer of um, of really really thoughtful yeah, almost documentary kind of stuff about the black experience and then they're just not there's no gel between them at all no um, I think the performances try to gel them it's got some really good performances by the actors yeah your man uh, Delroy Linda Lindo, sorry. Um, yeah, does a really heartbreaking performance of um, somebody who's been who's been broken by violence and is now paranoid and frightened and um, can't can't love anybody. Yeah, he's sort of he's one of the main men, and he's his son has come along with him for the trip, and he's a sort he's a very interesting character because he's um, a Trump supporting black guy wearing like a MAGA hat and things but you can just and he's got sort of sort of got this anger underneath his surface like all the time hasn't he like Mm. you can see that his trauma has just sort of never been addressed and has sort of just turned into like an anger at life and his portrayal I think is done really well throughout in that sense because he's yeah he's mysteriously sort of paranoid and confused to to the start and then it sort of reveals itself really nicely and ends in these sort of amazing very Spike Lee-esque kind of monologues that he starts doing to camera as he's walking through the jungle um, which in isolation are are really really beautiful Mm. and there is a really strong anti-war vibe with that but yeah at the same time there's a lot of Rambo 4 stuff going on in here which is like ugh I think it's just the the deaths and the violence didn't seem to matter enough mm. to be portrayed against, especially like portraying them against the real life footage that they put in there. When the deaths, when people get shot, there's one person who stands on a landmine and mm. um, you know, or ends up dying very horrifically a couple of minutes afterwards. And but they just didn't seem to matter. Like everyone got on with the film in the next couple of minutes because because it was sort of an action film, so things were escalating. So this guy stands on a landmine, and then it's like things. The plot is like escalating. So there's never any time spent on the deaths or the violence. Mm. So it's just you've got a weird disconnect then between like are you watching something like Rambo or Terminator where you're just like oh yeah another extra has died or are you watching something 
with thoughtful character portrayals and a deep yeah. relationship between the four main men. Yeah, because at the same time that these sort of careless deaths happen, you've also got a character who's, um, through his performance, doing a really good job of showing you like the horrific, lifelong damage that violence does. So the implication is kind of like everybody in this situation is now fucked because of what's happened. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this is the sort of damage that, you know, because they even, it, it's even talking about how it kind of goes right through the generations, isn't it? Because mm. the son has had this really difficult life um, because, of his, because of his broken dad. And you think, well, okay, then, so that's all been reset now in these, in these glorious action sequences. Yeah. They've got this very sort of Hollywood 1970s exploitation film star soundtrack on it, um, which is being, like, really Hollywood romantic in places mm. um, in the middle of all this. And so, yeah, it's, 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 a, really, it's a really weird dissonance. Yeah. Um, another thing we found as well was that the film sort of... It tries to humanise... The Vietnamese soldiers. There's one particular scene where you see the soldiers, um, and they've added captions for the Vietnamese. And um, there's four Vietnamese soldiers walking towards the camera, and you see in the subtitles, or if you understood Vietnamese, you'd hear that they they're talking about they love letters from their wives and partners. And then the next minute, the American soldiers kill them all. So it's you know trying to show a different side to Vietnamese people um, but then at the same time the actual main Vietnamese characters in the film are like gangstery sort of minions for a white man aren't they really they're yeah. like uneducated machine gun trigger happy jungle people they're not given any depth to their characters so then they're just having this one scene where where other soldiers talk about their girlfriends doesn't doesn't um make up for the rest of the portrayal no and it feels like a genuine attempt was made to do that but they just didn't manage it mm. i think it was very much about the face with that as well because i don't know why they i can see why they would think think of filming it that way but because you're filming these soldiers these american soldiers in the jungle they, you know, as it would be in, a, in, in, in jungle warfare, I guess, you don't really see other people's faces very often. Mm. So of these characters you're humanising, you never show their faces. And, like, that's the most powerful thing you can do with a film camera, isn't it? So the only, the only Vietnamese faces I really remember from this film, um, with the exception of the guide that kind of takes them, takes them through this adventure when they're older, is, yeah, exactly, of these, um, these, these villain characters who are, um, who, are doing, who are doing bad stuff. So your sort of Vietnamese kind of characters are either women in the sidelines um, or distant, apparently humanised people getting killed or, yeah, some baddies. And so, like, accidentally, you end up, yeah, just, just not having anybody to sympathise with. Um, and, yeah, I, 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 I think it is that, that you, yeah, you, unless you show those things on completely equal footing... The camera just does that subtle kind of glorifying war without you even noticing thing, doesn't it? Yeah. Like the technology of film is is really really slippery sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. They show this really cool um, uh, Vietnamese woman for very short amounts of time called um, Hanoi Hana. I looked her up and she's a real person from the Vietnam War who. Um, broadcast like every day um, directed at the American troops mm -hmm. and sort of trying to get them to go away so she would like um, you know tell them they were losing the war list out read out like lists of American soldiers that had died and this is in between playing stuff. American uh, music I and guess that's the same as well American music to try and make them homesick yep and then and tell them things that were happening back in America that they were missing and ask them like what was the point of their being there and why were they you know what was their country using them for and did they know why they were there and I think yeah, so. and having her in that was a great conceit as well because she gets to do a lot of the 
like things which can come across as didactic in the film yeah she gets to make all the really salient points about how you know you're fighting for your country and your country doesn't give you any rights as black people and things yeah and that that doesn't come across as didactic so that's like it's a genuine angle well it sounds like that's what she was actually doing you know i don't know if it was i don't think it was always directed at the at the black gis as it is in the film but um yeah did she look as cool in real life as she did in the film because in the film she's got this great kind of like um um like frizzy floaty floaty away haircut and she's just smoking cigarettes and talking down an elvis mic isn't she? <laughs> yeah. she's really cool i only saw a picture of her like a recent picture mm. so um i don't know what she looked like at the time fair enough but apparently she was listened to a lot by the american troops because um she gave more accurate information about their position and stuff mm-hmm. what was happening ah, interesting yeah mm-hmm. just looking at the cast oh <laughs> uh, speaking of um, of cool looking people yeah um, doesn't Chadwick Boseman look gorgeous in this yeah I mean he always looks gorgeous he? he does but there's some really great just like because yeah, I know we've we've given this film kicking, but there's little individual nice bits in this, and and the way that he frames Chadwick Boseman and a few different bits are amazing. He's got a couple of sections where he's just shot him from behind like a palm frond. Mm. Um, the palm frond looks like a throne, mm. um, and he just looks really, really, really beautiful and amazing. There's a scene of him sort of quietly looking up with the sun shining down. They're yeah. just like really, really beautiful. Yeah, because he's playing sort of this character who died young. And, but he was really sort of the centre of the group, wasn't he? Like holding them together, teaching them about black history, sort of really being their leader. So that's... and then, but So yeah, he's framed as this sort of... almost like Jesus-like figure in a way, isn't he? Not yeah, like, I suppose he is, actually. I haven't thought about that. Yeah, that he's sort of leader of, leader of men and educator at the same time. Yeah. 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 So this was the last film to be released um, in Chadwick Boseman's lifetime before he died. Mm-hmm. And then there's one out at the moment which came out after he died posthumously. But yeah, very quite sad to watch him in it, really. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know that he'd passed away till after the film actually, so I didn't know about it. Um, but yeah, it's not quite there. This film is it? It's a little bit of a no. shambles. There are some really, there's some, you know, as you did, but for a Spike Lee film, there's some really good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like those monologues by Delroy Lindo, and then Chadwick Boseman, then Hanoi Hannah, you know, like there are really great moments. But, and there's the, like, interesting way as well that he chose to, in the flashback scenes, he keeps, they haven't, like, tried to de-age the, um, the people. The actors. Yeah, so they're reliving their Vietnam stuff as old men yeah. with the young Chadwick Boseman with them, which is yeah. really, really nice. That's a really, really sad and most powerful thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I thought that was a really great decision because it was, yeah, sort of shows them as these old, tired men, but with, yeah, a young leader in the back end. Yeah. They also switch up the aspect ratios a lot, don't they? Yes. Four different aspect ratios. Four different aspect ratios. The old stuff is 16mm. Mm-hmm. Like, so when it's the flashbacks are filmed in 16mm, then the newer stuff is in widescreen, and then when they're in the jungle, it's in full screen, and then someone is filming some holiday footage in Super 8. I thought it was quite deftly done, that, and it did serve some narrative use, I think. Yeah. We had a bit of a problem with the 1970s stuff not feeling particularly of its time. It just felt like a, a film grain on mm. already existing stuff. And I don't think that's down to them playing the older versions of themselves in, in those worlds. That was fine. There's just something in the way that... I don't know if they just hadn't had enough time to spend on the detailing of it. Or I mean, it was filmed on film, but I don't know. I just... Just didn't feel right, I think. Obviously, you just don't spend enough time in the past. So it's not as differentiated, you know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what it was. I just know that it didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, I thought the Super 8 was a bit pointless. 
What, when did the Super 8 happen? I can't remember. Well, the Super 8 was just um, one of them, you know, because they've come back and now Vietnam's all prosperous and glamorous and like, and they're there as tourists, so they're filming with Super 8. Mm. Just on like holiday film, you know, like the barges and the supermarkets and I just thought that was a bit unnecessary. It's really tricky, isn't it? Because like, somebody like Beyonce can flick through Super 8 VHS Beta Max, yeah. like just really, really deftly, and and like I wouldn't be able to give you a sort of justification for individual bits having individual styles sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, whoever does that work with her, the formats are just totally fluid in it. So I can see why you'd why you'd want to switch it up. But yeah, certainly. I mean, maybe it's just because the film is falling flat that you start noticing things like that, isn't it? One starts noticing yeah. things like that, you know. I think I just mean it was unnecessary because the other formats are clearly suggesting something. Mm-hmm. Or like the that was just suggesting that there was a Super 8 there. Yeah, it was just like, yeah. But I guess it, I guess perhaps it was being like, oh, they're on holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was just a bit confusing because I was like, is this in the past now? Because the other oh, format okay. was, a, you know, an old format, and it was meant to suggest that they were in the past so when they were using Super 8 I was like oh it's in the past again and then it was like no it's not in the past yes but you know that's just a small thing (laughs) (laughs) again like things you notice if you're if the film isn't grabbing you isn't it yeah so how many stars would you give this film well it's harsh but (laughs) two yeah I'm on a two with this like I know like I need to enjoy a three-star film for it to be three stars. Yeah, and some things were four-star, but yeah, it's got some four, some four and five-star moments in it, definitely. Um, but it's just got some stuff which really made me feel like crap. Yeah. Um, and not in a good way. You, you were know? really upset after watching this. Yeah, it did really upset me, and it's funny because like, like you don't, you you don't particularly love stupidly gory things for their own sake. I'll quite gladly watch that if it's in a context where I think it's okay. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit of a violence hipster, I suppose. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I'll 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 take it in the context of something being so 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 offensive that it's kind of fine, you know. Yeah. Really like um, Tokyo Gore Police, you know, and there's no justification for that. It's yeah. horrible. <laughs> but it's hilarious, so I'm fine with it. And then you know, somebody comes along and tries to do something quite noble with this, and I'm like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, was it because it was real footage? Or it, was it? Well, it was. It wasn't just in the real footage. Yeah, totally did. Like, I, I, I was sort of prepared for that in a way because I remember, I remember watching Rambo Four when they do exactly the same thing at the start, mm. and I, and I've seen a few other films like that. So when I see that now, I sort of switch off. Like, okay, you're doing that thing now, and I sort of look away. Mm. Um, which you couldn't do in this because they did drop it in when you weren't expecting as well. Yeah. But it wasn't just that. It was how the action sequences and stuff were done as well mm. um, made me just feel like careless violence just really upsets me mm. you know um, so it was the careless of it upset me long term more than the other stuff because the other stuff was upsetting but I'd, I'd sort of seen all of that Vietnam War footage already yeah you know and and so I've, I've sort of processed that you know like, so I can deal with that whereas the, the fresh injustice was this thing of I just don't like the way the violence works in this movie you know yeah um, but I don't know I can totally see that there was a vision for this and they had a good go at it so like yeah I'm not cross at the filmmakers because it's no. they, they accidentally gave me a bad time and, well, and they did it in good faith I think you know he's still a great filmmaker isn't it like I wouldn't I would always probably watch his next films yeah this isn't going to put me off his next film because he he is a good filmmaker I think it just wasn't the right it sounds like, from what you were saying about the script, that it was just two different directions that didn't come together. Yeah, and it would have been really easy to take that script and turn it into a, um, into a like a in, into an Oliver Stone style trashy adventure thing. Like yeah. to succeed at that, that would have worked. We could have watched the film and been like, yeah, it was okay. It was a bit of a romp. I mean, but I probably sh- wouldn't have watched it if it was an Oliver Stone directed Vietnam War film. <laughs> no, I might have done. But like, because what he's done here is he's kind of shot for the moon in a way. Mm. He's like, I want to make this anti-war film that's about this really interesting thing. Yeah. So like, so you know, fair play to him. Yeah. Do you know one thing I blame is the music. 
Yeah. I just thought the music was terrible. It's the same guy that did the music for um, Black Klansman. Mm. And I thought the Black Klansman music worked really nicely. Um, and very, very in context. But in this, it was it was just too much. Yeah. It was extremely... Kept pulling me out of the film. It was as didactic as some of the sort of... Um, some of the dialogue in it. Mm. Um, music was by um, Terence Blanchard. Mm. There's also a lot of Mar- Marvin Gaye songs. Yes. Which, um, well, in, in isolation, I think I liked all of the music. Like, I, I liked the sound of the music. Like, mm. the music was really good, I thought. Um, and the Marvin Gaye... Yeah, hearing up Marvin Gaye singing in isolation, assuming it's Marvin Gaye and not somebody doing it in the style of... No, I think it was Marvin Gaye. It is him. Yeah. Is, is great. Um, but, yeah, just didn't... Yeah, the film is just like... You pick it up and it just falls to bits. Yeah. Um, Do you want a fun fact? Yes. The main five guys yeah their names are the names of the temptations oh really yes. <laughs> that's very good yes this this both of these films had temptations references in them what was the temptation reference in there I can't remember but it was um, something about what's her name Tessa Oops, Thompson yeah Tessa Thompson just makes a like just a passing comment referencing temptations that's interesting, isn't it? There's my fun fact back at you. Well, yours is a half fact because you can't remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> the fact is still true. Just because well, I'm an they idiot. They both reference it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? She so says something like you, you, such a you good... slide off faster than the temptations or something like that. Yeah, it's such a good comment what she says, but we've both forgotten it. Shane brought it up now. <laughs> It's something like you sway. Oh, it's like you go back and forth more than a Temptations. I can't remember. That's it. That's not going to click. Oh well. Um, Perhaps I'll find out. Yes. And I'll use it in day-to-day conversation. Nice. Um, So there it is. That is the review of those two films. Yes. Um, That was the Five Bloods. Yes. And sorry to bother you. Both currently on Netflix. Nice. Next episode, we're going to be talking about a film called Sweet Bean. Yes. Um, so which I'm quite looking forward to talking about. Lots to say about that. So if you want to, yeah, watch Go that watch it in advance. Go on a in day. In advance, and then you'll know what we're talking about. Yeah. You'll have a good time watching it, I promise you. Yeah, um, we recommend it. Yeah, so, so get it down. You know, yeah. we're, not, we're not saying go watch it and it's bad. Yeah, and then we'll watch something really crap to um, go alongside it then. No. <laughs> we don't know what we're watching. <laughs> yeah, Sweet Bean, which is on Mubi or BFI Player. Yes. We watched it on BFI Player because it's the best player. Because that's what we're all about, <laughs> hawking that stuff for that BFIs. So, like your, like, subscribe your, yeah. Um, follow your, rate Ratio. Um, and then and then we'll all get along just fine. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye.